Welcome to the For the City podcast. I'm Andrea Fremont. Today we are continuing our series, Restless for the City. If you haven't heard last week's episode, you should go check that out now. Drew shares how he has become restless and he sets the stage for the rest of the series. If you feel restless about your church or your community or your city, you should sign up for Drew's webinar at forthecity.org forward slash webinar so that you can be a part of the conversation where we reimagine church for the good of our cities. Spots are filling up quickly though, so I wouldn't wait to sign up and I hope to see you there. Okay, now on to Drew for episode two. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you did. Uh, if you didn't enjoy that first episode when I was sharing a little bit of my story of restlessness, I hope you at least resonated with your own story and that you, there were some points that connected with you because uh, I am, I, just to be selfish about it, I'm looking for fellow travelers. I'm looking for folks like me, and let me say this again, uh, who are uh, not cynical, have not given up on following Christ, uh, have not given up on being a Jesus follower, have not given up on the importance of his movement and of uh, his church. The problem, like we've said before, that word church has got so many uh, assumptions behind it. It means so many things that are different to so many people. Uh, sometimes I talk about kingdom outposts. Uh, we're going to be talking about communities of practice. What would it mean to reimagine church as communities of practice? So today I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the pain points that I feel. Uh, I'm going to give you just a very few statistics that are kind of grim, that aren't really happy. Uh, but I, I feel like I need to say this to you guys as you listen in today. Uh, I want to reiterate that, uh, man, I'm, I am super positive and pumped about what I've devoted my life to, which is following Jesus. I've devoted my life to some pretty religious versions of his church. I have. And along the way, I've morphed and I've changed and I grew out of my home uh, religious denomination, but I, I picked up some other ways of doing Christianity and of doing church that I now see as uh, maybe ineffective uh, Maybe uh, not, maybe too religious. But, you know, at the time I didn't know that. I was just like everybody. Took my best shot at the time. Sometimes I was a member of one of those churches. Sometimes I was one of the leaders, although still perhaps an engineer, a regular Christian. One of my friends calls Christians that are good for nothing. In other words, you don't get paid to be a good Christian. You just are. And then, of course, later I was clergy. I was pastor. I was a church planter. I was, I was a, an official leader, you know, with a microphone and a platform and everything. And yet... This growing sense that at least here in the United States, because that's, uh, that's my field of service, so to speak, and that's where I live, of course, I've got this sense that we're not always getting done what we wish we were getting done. So I'm going to talk for a few minutes about some pain points and about some failures. Uh, I'll reference some experience internationally and how I see some similar things here. Uh, before we move on in uh, further episodes uh, to some more uh, positive understanding of communities of practice. Uh, let me just say it kind of bluntly. Uh, I think a lot of our Christian forms in this country have morphed into retail Christianity. This shouldn't be a big surprise to us. Oh my gosh, we're, we're trained to be retail customers from the day we're born, aren't we? I mean, 
I, and I was born back in the day. I was born back in the 50s, for crying out loud, you know, like 66 years ago. But even as a young boy, I was already being marketed to on the something fairly new to us, uh, the television and, of course, radio as I listened to music through the 60s. And I'm watching my grandchildren. They're trained to be consumers by the time they're four or five. Uh, if, if they're old enough to look at a screen and they're looking at screens when they're two and three, they're being marketed to, and Americans just are consumers. It's how our economy runs. Uh, we're not all capitalists, but we're all consumers. And it's just that someone has said that the business of America is business. And we can complain about that or not like that, or it might even be invisible to us, like that fish in a bowl of water who doesn't even understand what water is, because it's just to him it's just reality. Uh, this consumer uh, culture that we live in, you may not have ever thought about it before, but the fact is you and I, as Americans participating and buying and selling and working and spending our money and saving our money and taking vacations and uh, making Amazon and Bezos and all those guys wealthy. Uh, of course, I'm here in Arkansas, the home of Walmart. Uh, and as we shop and uh, uh, and do therapy shopping like a lot of us do. We're just participating in what we've been trained to do, which is be good consumers and keep our economy going. Well, now here's, here's a problem when it comes to church. A lot of the models that I've led, a lot of the models that I participated in have essentially been models of retail religion. Uh, to, put, to put it kind of crassly, you show up uh, to receive uh, religious services from the professionals. The professionals have prepared... Uh, some kind of a retail service offering for your children. They prepared a retail service offering for your teenagers, your students. They've got specialty offerings in the religious mall for men, for women, for other uh, affinity groups, small groups, the meeting homes uh, to make it more accessible. And then, of course, there's the big Sunday morning uh, service, literally called a service, where we, you come in and guess what? There's a big stage and there's a there's microphones, there's lights, there's maybe a fog machine, there's musicians on stage, and it looks like you're going to a concert, and you paid you pay money to go to a concert, and so when the offering basket comes by, you pay for the services your family's receiving. Now, if that sounds too cynical to you, then I apologize, but uh, I've been on the other side of receiving that offering basket, and a lot of the models, the way we do church, is very much a retail model of offering good well-intentioned, well-done services uh, with people who are willing to pay for it in the sense of tax-deductible offerings so that, that the professionals can continue to improve uh, and offer more services and better services. I was, uh tell you a story, I was working uh, with uh, some people on uh, one of my first attempts is to stand up a nonprofit that was serving uh, returning prisoners, returning citizens, people who had served time for felons and were re-entering free society. One of the people I was working with uh, was a remarkable woman from another city in Arkansas. She had her own nonprofit, had really worked out an excellent recovery program and a re-entry program, a lot of counseling. Some of it was housing. A lot of those are out there. This was a good one. And we were enjoying working together. We'd had several meetings together with other uh, co-conspirators who were helping uh, work on this project. Uh, and she had not yet realized that I was a pastor. She really liked me until one day, uh, as we were talking, uh, getting ready to start a meeting, she realized I was a preacher. 
And so, and her demeanor changed. Now she wasn't hostile, but her demeanor did change. And she turned to me because she wanted to get this out of the way. I think she looked me in the eye and she just said straight up, you just need to know I'm not a fan of commercial Christianity. Well, well, that was bracing. I never had heard anyone put it like that. I'm not a fan. You need to know now that I know you're a pastor, I'm not a fan of commercial Christianity. What popped out of my mouth was, well, good, we ought to get along because I'm not either. But I actually hadn't thought about it the way she made me start thinking about it. Uh, And so this is part of what we mean when we start talking about communities of practice. In one sense, it's a negative, it's a reaction to a negative idea, the idea being that church and church work and church movement and churches in the United States have become so retail oriented, so much really excellent expressions of commercial Christianity. But my sense is, and the sense of many other people is, while we may be very good at running our retail shops, we're not good enough at meeting the needs of people who can't pay for our services. The needy, the poor, the marginalized, the underserved. And we have too much farmed that out to other nonprofits or to the government. And yet when I read my scriptures, when I read my Bible, Old and New Testaments, it's one of the primary callings of the people of God, the people of Jesus, to meet the urgent needs of their community, to love their neighbor as themselves to pay a special attention to the widow and to the poor and to the orphan. Not as an add-on program after we kind of get our Sunday morning stuff established, but at the core of why Israel existed and at the core of why the church exists. This, uh, well, this is also, I think, part of the reason why we're experiencing some pain points in retail Christianity. Uh, The demographics are in, right? All you clergy guys out there know these things. Younger people, like my coworker Andrea here, younger people in their 20s or in their teens, they either never started going to church, even though their parents did, or they've walked away. They just don't see the point. And the, stu- the studies are in. The demographics are clear. Well, we're declining, particularly with anyone here in 2021 who's under 40 years old. Now, there's exceptions. Of course, I've got some in my church, too. We've got members who are active, who are 30 years old, who are 28 years old. But it's a declining percentage. There's no doubt about that. Here's, here's some other no-fun statistics. Back in uh, 20 years ago, right after we started this Lake Valley, the church I'm retiring from, uh, the median size of a church in America was 135 people. That means I'm not a statistics guy, but that means that half the churches in America were over 135, half the churches were under 135 people. Uh, Of course, we were patting ourselves on the back because we pretty quickly blew past that. We were 150, then we were 200, 300, high hundreds, you know, all that. Well, 20 years later, the median size of a church in 2021 in the United States is 65, Half of what it was 20 years ago. That means nowadays half the churches are under 65 and and half are over 65, but that's half what it was 20 years ago. Here's another no fun statistic. Uh, It used to be we made fun of the main lines. Us evangelicals, which is my tribe, us Bible church types, uh, we made fun of the poor old Episcopalians and Methodists because they were declining. Well, turns out we're all declining. Latest studies uh, Catholics and some other, some other uh, like the Orthodox, at 9%, 10%. Mainliners are still declining at 8%, 7%. But now even 
Evangelicals are declining at 7% to 6% a year. Well, in the investment world, 7% a year is a good number. If you can earn 7%, because it means your money will double in 10 years. If you can earn 7% and not spend it, your money will double in 10 years. That's bad news when your churches are declining at 7%, because that means in 10 years, your movement, your denomination, your evangelical movement, however you identify, will be half its current size at a 7% decline. The only bright spot is that big mega churches, uh, over half of them, about 70% of them actually grew these last decade, uh, probably soaking up the smaller churches, kind of the way the big box stores like Home Depot and Lowe's soak up the mom and pop hardware stores. That's the only bright spot. Some mega churches, 70%, actually grew. A third of them did not, and everybody else is on a path of decline. What, what does that mean? I, you know, I don't know exactly what that means for us followers of Jesus, those of us who are interested in serving our neighbor and uh, serving the marginalized. But it's not good news for retail Christianity or for commercial Christianity. We need to be innovating. We need to be imagining. We need to be praying about and talking about what does it mean to do effective church now the way that Christ envisioned, the way that his apostles envisioned. Uh, let me just let me just uh, step outside of America for a moment to, to notice uh, something that's happened in another country that I'm very familiar with. Uh, I spent uh, five years of the last 10 years deeply involved down in Haiti. And uh, for about five years, me and a team were going down there uh, three, four, and five times a year to train the trainer. And all I would want you to know is that when we started, Haiti was famous for all of the missionary work, all of the church work, all of the church plants, all of the NGOs, non-government organizations that were active down there giving out aid and help, trying to help uh, the financial and the economy of Haiti. And all the government, uh, through the U.S. government and European governments, all the money was being poured into that country. It was so much that Haiti was nicknamed the Republic of Nonprofits or the Republic of NGOs, non-government organizations. There were more nonprofits working in Haiti per capita than any place on the planet. All right. Uh, mission teams. Oh, my gosh. Every airplane ride down there was full of mission teams, all wearing matching color T-shirts and all the, all the stuff that mission teams do. And if you all if you followed the news at all this year, starting with the earthquake back in 2010, all the way down to 21, Haiti is a failed state. It's impoverished. Uh, most people make two bucks a day or less. It's ruled by gangs. Politicians used to keep gangs on their payroll to enforce uh, the way they wanted folks to vote in the so-called democracy. Word on the street in Haiti is that 200 wealthy families own the country and run it for their own benefit. And today, and of course you've heard this year about 17 American missionaries that were just kidnapped a few weeks ago, uh, riots in the streets. It's, Haiti is essentially a failed state. And here's the point. That's after decades of traditional retail Protestant Christianity, decades of Catholic presence, decades of nonprofits pouring money and time and effort decades of governments pouring money that's only enriched corrupt politicians. Uh, we've got to do something different in Haiti. And I believe we face a similar problem in the States. We're not to that place. We're not a failed state by any stretch, 
but it does point to the failure of our models of how to help people. Our models of how to help people end up hurting them. Our charity can end up toxic, not just in Haiti, but in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, or East Austin, or East St. Louis, or the South Side of Chicago, or any other area of our town, the Delta rural regions of Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana. Our charity can be toxic. Our helping can hurt. The forms of our Christianity and the forms of our churches don't lend themselves to effective, effectively loving our neighbor. And so that's why we're going to be talking in the next episode about a definition of community practice. What might it mean if we could actually reimagine our churches, not as retail outlets of really good religious, Jesus-centered services, but what if we could reimagine ourselves and our gatherings, our church-like gatherings, as communities of practice that were actually effective at loving our neighbor, at moving the needle on poverty, on incarceration, on drug use, on any number of other problems. I think that the numbers are in and the jury is in, whether it's the United States or a country like Haiti. We need new models. We need new forms. We need you reimagining. We need me reimagining. And we need to be talking about the best way to move forward, to fulfill the vision of our leader, Jesus, and his vision for kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All right. Thanks for listening in. Sorry if this was a downer episode, but I think we needed to do it. And next episode, I want to turn our attention to a more positive definition of communities of practice. I'll see you then. If you resonated with what Drew said in this episode, or if you feel restless, or if the retail model of Christianity just isn't working for you anymore, you should sign up for Drew's webinar at forthecity.org forward slash webinar. You'll get to hear from Drew for a little bit, but more importantly, we'll get to share how we're reimagining church for the good of our cities together. It will be presented by For the City, and there's no cost to you to attend, so you should sign up sooner rather than later because spots are filling up pretty quickly.